0: Amen Amen, Church. You may be seated. Well, for those of you who don't know, my name is Kevin. I have the, the joy of serving here at Hope, Ottawa, and today I have the absolute privilege of, uh, of opening the word with you. We'll be looking at three sections from John chapter 19. From verse 16 to 42. And while you turn there, I want to set the scene for you. I want to set our context. See, we're in Jerusalem. It's the, it's the, the, the week of the Passover. So this, the population of Jerusalem has swollen many times its size. We've gone through the last supper. We've gone through the last night of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's been betrayed. He's been taken before the high priest. Then he's been taken before the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, because the Pharisees and chief priests, they want criminal judgment on him to allow them to make an example of him. And now he's been handed over them to them to be crucified. See, in the previous chapter, you'll remember that Jesus declared, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate's response to this, if you remember, was, what is truth? What is truth? Today in our text, we're going to see the truth of Jesus. We're going to see the truth declared. We're going to see the truth fulfilled. And then what our necessary response to the truth must be. To adapt a quote from from A.W. Tozer who said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I trust that today you're going to see that, that from our text, who you believe Jesus is is the most important thing about you. See, the truth of Jesus has been revealed. The whole purpose of this book, the whole purpose of the book of John here is this, so that you may believe in the only son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so our big idea for today is this, the truth of Jesus has been revealed. You must believe it to have life in his name. The truth of Jesus has been revealed. You must have, believe it to have life in his name. It's been revealed through the declaration, who he is. It's been revealed through his sovereignty, through his control over all of the events leading up to this point, over the fulfillment of so many prophecies about him. I trust today you'll see that this story is, is a perfect fulfillment of the video we just saw of Isaiah 53. The truth of Jesus has been revealed. You must believe it to have life in his name. And first, the truth revealed. It has been declared. He is king. But who do you say he is? That's the question for today. Who do you say that Jesus is? We're going to start off reading from verse 16 to verse 22 for this section. Let's read. This is the word of the Lord. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. So they took Jesus, that's the chief priests with a guard of Roman soldiers. They took him out, just outside of the city, to the place of the skull. That's called Golgotha in Aramaic. In Latin, that's the word that's translated to Calvary. That's where we get that word from. That's, that's translated as Calvary. And so it's probably a place resembling a skull, it's probably a place like this. This is called Gordon's Calvary. And uh, we've, we've cropped out the satellite dishes and antennas and the person's house. But you can see it's like a hill with caves for eyes, for a nose, for mouth. It was probably this place. We don't know for sure, but, but it's quite likely. They took him to the place of a skull, which in Al- Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him. There they crucified him. And with him, two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. These two others, they were criminals, convicted criminals that were also crucified with Jesus. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic in Latin and in Greek So it was near the city it was just outside maybe the place we saw but this is this is so key did you see that it's written in Aramaic Latin and Greek Jesus king Jesus is king Now Pilate, what's he doing? He's writing this to mock the Jews. But we know, we've seen before, in in our study of the, the, the previous part of this chapter, God is sovereign over Pilate's mouth, God is sovereign over Pilate's hand to even be writing this. And not only is God sovereign over Pilate's hand to write this, but you see the three languages there. Aramaic, that's the language of the Jews. That's the language they're speaking. Latin, that's the official language of the Roman Empire. And Greek, that's the common language of the whole entire Roman Empire. That's the language of business, of trade. That's what commoners would be speaking. You see God's sovereignty here? He truly is king, not only declared as truth, but truth to the nations, truth to all nations, the Jews, the official Romans, the common language, Jesus declared as king. So the chief priests, verse 21, of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered to them, What I have written, I have written. Of course, Pilate is doing this to mock the Jews. But just as we saw last week, Jesus is using his mouth, his hand, to declare the absolute truth of his authority. We're going to take some time now together to declare that in prayer. So gather with your family. Gather with with anyone nearby if you're comfortable. And let's pray that truth in adoration to God. Jesus is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. But who do you say that he is? We're going to use this this scripture to prompt us. We're going to, to pray like this. First in adoration, Jesus you are. Right? Jesus you are. We see in verse 18, he's sovereign. In verse 19, he's declared Jesus of Nazareth, the man, Jesus of Nazareth. He is fully man, but he is Jesus Christ, fully God, our Savior, the Messiah. He is the true king. We'll start with Jesus you are and declare his holiness, declare who he is. And then our response to that, Jesus, please, Open my eyes to behold you, to see you as beautiful, to see you as high and lifted up, not simply lifted on a cross to die, but lifted high in praise in our lives tonight. Open my eyes to behold you and your holiness, and God, please increase my faith in you. Let's take some time together to pray. those prayers to a close. Lord, we thank you so much that you are sovereign and fully man, fully God. You are our Messiah and our true King. We pray that you, again, Lord, would open our eyes to behold you and today increase our faith in you. Amen. Well, church, we've seen the truth of Jesus revealed. You must believe it to have life in his name. The truth has been declared that he is king. But the truth has also been fulfilled. It is finished. Jesus fulfilled the word of God. Will you believe it? Let's read from verse 23 to 37. And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts one part for each soldier, and also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. You see, in public criminal executions, the soldiers were allowed to share the personal effects of the condemned. But his tunic, it was seamless. It was woven around in one piece. It's a long shirt, a long piece. It would unravel if it was cut. And they cast lots for it. It was, it was like rolling dice for it to gamble for his clothes. They said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. And see this, look in in the word here. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. This is Psalm 22, verse 18, written oh a thousand years before the events that we're looking at today. A thousand years. And other gospel recountings, show that Jesus and and some of the scoffers, the onlookers, they quoted at least four different complete verses from this psalm. He is sovereign, fulfilling his word. So the soldiers did these things, verse 25, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So Jesus' mother at this point, she's in her 40s or 50s, almost certainly widowed. Her sister is there, Mary, the wife of Clopas. Clopas is a a man who Jesus, he was a disciple. He was a man who Jesus met on the road to Emmaus later after he was resurrected. And, And Mary Magdalene, Jesus had healed this woman, cast demons out of her, and she was his disciple since then. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. Jesus here isn't saying woman out of disrespect. He's saying it probably to put her on an equal footing, that she is equally loved, She's not to be elevated to any any more than any other person, but they all are loved. And and why why does he entrust her to John? Jesus has brothers. He has brothers that could take care of her. But his brothers aren't believers yet. His brothers aren't believers. And so this is an act of love. This is an act of care for her soul as well, that she's entrusted to John to take care of her. He's fulfilling even more of the law by further honoring his mother and even fulfilling his own law that you love as I have loved you. He is showing us how to fulfill this. See, the truth has been fulfilled and it's been fulfilled willingly. Verse 28 to 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said again to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. See, Jesus, this is the character of God. Jesus knows all things, and he is in control of all things. He says, I thirst. Again, Psalm 22, verse 15, that his mouth was dry. More so fulfilling Psalm 69, verse 21, they gave sour wine for my thirst. Real thirst, yes, of course, but also we can see it symbolically as spiritual thirst. You see, in between verse 27 and 28 here, this is the three hours of darkness from noon to 3 p.m. that we read about in Matthew 27. He has just cried out, or he's taken this wine maybe just to wet his lips enough to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch. Remember that. Remember this. This is going to be important. On a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. He bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now, this sour wine, this isn't the wine mixed with myrrh that he was offered before crucifixion. That was a sedative. This isn't that. This is a a cheap drink that'd be there for the soldiers to, to keep them hydrated, but for any real thirst, it would be awful. was held up to him on a hyssop branch. This is Exodus 12, verse 22. This is what was used to sprinkle the blood on the doorposts in the first Passover. When the Jews were being delivered out of Egypt, the hyssop branch was what was used to sprinkle the blood on the doorpost. It says he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You see, Jesus didn't slump his head. He gave up willingly. He lowered or raised his head back on purpose. Nobody took his spirit. He has authority over it. John 10 verse 18 says, Jesus says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. See, not only does Jesus lay his life down willingly, but we'll also see here, he lays his life down sovereignly. The truth has been fulfilled both willingly and it's been fulfilled sovereignly. Jesus is the true Passover lamb. He has authority over life and death. Verse 31 to 37. Since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. You see, the religious leaders here, they're so careful to observe their customs even while murdering an innocent man. The Jews asked Pilate, that their legs might be broken, that's to hasten death, and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and they broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Now these soldiers are, are professionals. Not only does their career depend on this, their life depends on getting it right. Jesus was dead. He wasn't, he wasn't passed out, right? He wasn't unconscious. Jesus Christ was dead. When they came and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced aside with, his, with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw this bore witness. This is John talking. He's the one who saw, who's seen this, and he's talking about the whole crucifixion. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth. Why? What's the purpose of all of this? That you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled, that not one of his bones would be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. Not one of his bones will be broken. This is Exodus twelve forty six, speaking of the Passover lamb. That none of the bones should be broken. And they will look on him whom they have pierced. This is Zechariah 12, verse 10. It's a, it's a prophecy about the Lord bringing salvation. It says, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and please for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him. Jesus is the true Passover lamb. He is willing Sovereign, he did this for us. Let's pray. Lord, you are the perfect Passover lamb. You have all authority over life and death. And you chose death on a cross to forgive me of my sin. Today, Lord, we mourn the sin that made it necessary. We mourn the sin that held you there. But we rejoice and we thank you for your sacrifice. Today, we'll be looking, uh, Lord, to, to you for our salvation. We look to you, Lord, for, for our hope and our salvation. And we sing now about you, who you are. We praise you in your name. Amen.
1: Church, would you stand as we respond in mercy? Blood poured out, my sins erased. He was my death. my dad No! <laughs>
0: Lord, you are our Savior lifted up. You are the true Lamb of God. We've seen the truth declared that he is king. We've seen the truth fulfilled. He is sovereign over all, and it is finished. And now, I trust you'll see that your response to the truth is either faith or rejection. You see, everyone will respond to Jesus, but how will you? How will you respond in faith to Jesus with your family? How will you respond to faith in Jesus in your your workplace? In what God has called you to do diligently? In who God would call call you to, to, to tell about him? How would you respond to Jesus at school with your tithes? With your time? Maybe even with your reputation? How will you respond to Jesus? We're going to finish our reading today, verse 38 to 42. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away his body. Now, who's Joseph of Arimathea? We see that he was a disciple in secret, out of fear, Right? Out of a fear of man, he was, he was a disciple of Jesus. But we know that he was a very wealthy man. He was actually a member of the Sanhedrin. That's the council of Jewish leaders. He, was, he had a lot to lose. He had a reputation to keep. He was risking his life by being identified with Jesus. Jesus was just crucified by an angry mob, and he's identifying himself as a follower of Jesus. He's risking his life. He was living in a fear of man, but now, in the fear of God, as he goes public, he asks Pilate for Jesus' body. And Pilate here gives him permission, further confirming that Jesus was in fact dead and not simply unconscious. Pilate would have confirmation of death. Pilate's Position Pilate's life depended on this. We read, read going further, and Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night. That's in John three, where Jesus tells him he must be born again, or he will not see the kingdom of God. He came by night, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about seventy-five pounds. All right. Kids, think about this. How much, how much do you weigh? Do you guys know how much you weigh? Probably like 30, 40 pounds, somewhere in there. Imagine this. Imagine two of you. If you have brothers and sisters, can you take one brother on one hand? You take a sister on another hand, or if you're a sister, take the other. The others, like that's even more impressive. Can you pick them up? That's 75 pounds. That is a lot of burial spices. In fact... It's the amount required for a royal burial. So they took the body of Jesus. They bound it in linen with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, that's preparation for the Passover, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So you look at the text again. Look down at at, at the text here, at these acts of faith. You can't escape a response to Jesus. Everyone will respond in either faith or rejection. Who do you say Jesus is? Pilate responded with rejection. The two criminals crucified with Jesus, they both responded, one in faith saying, Jesus, I believe in you, and Jesus saying, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. The other criminal responding with rejection, rejection and mocking. The Jews responded, they responded with rejection, with scorn, with more mocking. Joseph and Nicodemus, they were already believers, but they were living in a fear of man. But they responded to faith in extravagant worship. This was their response. You see, everyone must respond to Jesus one way or another, but how will you? Will you count the cost? Will you count the cost to your time, to your treasures, the cost in your talents, the cost in your reputation? Joseph and Nicodemus responded with the honor worthy of a royal burial at the risk of their position, their reputation, and even at the risk of their lives.
1: You see, the truth of Jesus has been revealed. You must believe it.